Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray again. I'm just going to um, let you guys know that I feel extremely vulnerable in sharing this word with you this morning. What the Lord put on my heart is not an easy thing to speak about by any means, but it is necessary. You see, the Lord calls this the gathering of the saints, and although not all of you um, might believe in Jesus, the majority of us come together as the gathering of the saints. What that means is that when Jesus sees you, he sees purity. Because he has purchased you. Whether you've been running or not, he still sees perfection. I want you to remember that as we get into this word. Because it's very important that you understand that I am not accusing you of, um, not like the enemy is accusing you, but I am going to bring the word of God to you and the heart of God that I feel at this time needs to come forth. Please, I ask you with everything in me not to check out because this word is for every one of us. It's for each one of us, old and young in the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. <laughs> Justification. Sanctification. And one day, glorification. But today, yeah. <laughs> but today, I, I'm very passionate about sanctification. The more that I get deeper in the Lord, I realize that my passion is to see the bride of Christ walk in purity. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ died for. I want to make great lovers of God. Amen. I want to make passionate people who desire to love him well. That is my ultimate goal. Okay? So I want you to track with me. If you have your Bible, I really want you to take it out. And if you have a Bible app, I want you to read along with me because I need you to see these words for yourself. I need you to understand that I'm not just making this up, that these are God's words for his people, saints. Amen? Because it's so easy to hear people speak and to take them for their word. And it can get confusing as well when people give their opinions of the word. And then you hear something counter from the word. So I believe today that God is going to some, undo some things. And uh, I'm excited, and I'm so nervous, <laughs> but I'm excited. <laughs> um, so if you, this isn't even, I just really felt the Lord wanted me to read this um, to you. If you could uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 5.3, and we're going to start here. This is not part of my word. It is, but it wasn't written down, but that's okay. Praise the Lord body of Christ. You are the representation of Jesus Christ here on this earth. I don't care if you haven't been to church in 10 years and it's your first time. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are his representation. So quickly jump into this. Amen? Whew. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Thank you. Word of God, this is the Word of God. To the church in Ephesus, from Paul the Apostle. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not be named among you, as is proper among the saints. You don't get to say, I am not a saint, if you belong to Jesus, because he purchased that title for you. Yes, in Christ we commit sin, but we are not sinners. We are saints. Therefore, we must not even name these things. Man, I was so convicted when I read this. 
I was so convicted when I read this. I pray that you're convicted when you read this. I really do. Conviction. We're going to talk about conviction today. It's a beautiful thing. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And we did that today. Thank you, Jesus. But for many... uh, uh, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is um, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Ooh. There is no, there is no condemnation, right? There's no condemnation. Paul is not heaping condemnation, but this is the, the word of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. You are saints because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? But now... God calls us to walk as children of light. We must participate in this. And we must, when we read this word, say, hey, this doesn't look like my life. And we must not settle in the place that says, that's okay. It's not okay. And I'm going to tell you why it's not okay. It's not that I'm heaping condemnation on you. But we're going to talk about godly sorrow. We're going to talk about loving the Lord back. Because he will never stop loving you. But this house must be a house that loves him back well. And you must be a person who loves him back well. And we're going to talk about the motivation to love him back well. Because the reality is, we don't always have that motivation. We don't always feel motivated to love God back well. Certainly, we feel very motivated, no matter where we are at in life, to say, God loves me no matter what. Right? I know I do. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) Wherever I am... Mountain, valley, God, you love me. But I felt the Lord asking me this, this morning, this week, every day for the past, I don't know, I can say probably from the first time that I met Eric Gilmore, <laughs> will you love me back? And that is what the Lord is asking this morning. Will the church love him back? Will we walk in the light that he purchased for us? Will we read his word, his living word, the words that proceeded out of his mouth and allow them to touch our hearts? Amen? Open your heart, saints. And those of you who aren't saints, by the end of today, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would feel the presence of a holy God over your life, longing and jealous for you, And that you would surrender all to him because in him is everything that you desire. Amen. Guys, when you have time, go back and continue reading that portion of scripture in Ephesians because it will rock you. My favorite part about being an atheist before I was a Christian, (laughs) seriously, is that I knew nothing about the word of God. And I knew nothing about church, and I knew I just had no idea uh, about anything. So when I read the Word of God, I was like, "Oh, okay, wow, this is what it's supposed to look like." There was not a whole lot of undoing, and I know that those who have grown up in the church, there's a lot of undoing, and especially those who are um, kind of in the Gen Z. Um, we, we, I wish, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, there was a, there's a movement, I find, as coming from atheism into Christianity, that I've watched the pendulum swing back and forth. And we watch it go back and forth. And I love that I was not a part of that back and forth. And I have a heart to reclaim the things right in the middle where the gospel lays, right? So, so we have... Um, I guess baby boomers, right? They grew up in like the holiness movement, right? 
and the spirit was pouring out and it was incredible. And then it got a little bit weird and perverted, right? And then uh, Gen Z, we, we swung it the other way and it's like grace, 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 grace. No, grace. Just confess you love Jesus and you're fine, right? But there's this beautiful middle ground that the word of God speaks about. And we're going to explore that today. Amen? Are you guys ready to be undone? Ooh, yeah, you say that now. Hopefully, hopefully I have friends after this. <laughs> All right. So I want to start with revival. Can you guys see me? I'm going to move this. Sorry, Dina. I'll move it back. I want to start with revival. And I know you might be like, okay, why revival? Well, we talk a lot about revival in this house, right? We cry out for revival six times a week, really, essentially. Then here, seven times a week, we ask God to come and we ask him to revive um, us. We ask him to revive our city and our town. So I just want to read some quotes on revival. Revival is the awakening or quickening of God's people to their nature and their purpose. Who? God's people. Revival starts in God's people. The return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners from Charles Finney. Now you might say, you might be sitting here as I did this week and say, I'm not backslidden. (laughs) Oh, None of us should discount ourselves. There's so much that God desires of us and from us. He desires us to lay our lives down. And there's always more to give him. And there is always something that he is after because he is jealous and longing for all of you, the fullness of you. (laughs) Amen. The work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life witness, and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. Ooh, ouch. Everybody say ouch. (laughs) Get AG up in here. Um, (laughs) Wow. We must understand to be revived, we have to accept that there's a part of us that is not fully alive in Christ, right? So there's a reason the Spirit of God has placed in the church a cry for revival, not just in Mastic Beach, but across the entire world, the church is crying out for revival because we need to be revived. I need to be revived. I did everything I could not to step into this word. (laughs) Personally, this week, I said, I'll do it with them. (laughs) Lord, as you're speaking it, I'll do it with them because it's so convicting to look upon the word of God and say, wow, that's not really how I'm living. And listen, I got spiritual disciplines, we could fill up a book. Andrew and I could fill up a book, but the reality is there is so much more. And there's so many places where God has spoken and we're like, "Eh, maybe. Tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. So, why repentance? The Lord is hitting repentance now. We are not going to stop talking about repentance until we see revival. So let's just all dive in so that we don't wander for 40 years. We only have 13 days of it, and we reach the promised land, and the Lord just starts moving and shaking Mastic Beach. Amen? Everybody? Amen? Yeah. All right, turn with me to 1 Chronicles 7.14. We are just at the beginning. I'm sorry. This might be a long time, but that's okay. Jesus. Oh, I have it here. First Chronicles 7, 14. During uh, the beginning of COVID, this scripture was like everywhere, everywhere. And it's one of those scriptures that we see a lot. And that when we see scriptures a lot, we tend to kind of throw it away. 
We get used to it, and I just pray in Jesus' name that it penetrates our hearts right now. If my people who are called, sorry, Second Chronicles, if, go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> Lord, I repent. <laughs> if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, see, those are all the steps of repentance, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Repentance is directly related to revival and awakening. Revival of the church, restoration of the area, and awakening of the unsaved. Do you see this? It has always been God's plan to reveal his glory to a fallen, sinful world through purity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ever since the beginning, it's been God's plan to reveal his glory to the fallen, broken, sinful world through purity. The Israelites were called to purity, right? Those were God's people. Now, uh, ourselves in Christ, yes, was the purity imputed to us, given to us by the blood of Jesus, but we see in the new covenant over and over again that we are to walk in that purity. Why? Because it is literally the most powerful thing in the world. It is the most powerful thing to take a sinful man and to see him walking in purity. Do you understand that? Awesome. Yes, God heals, God um, delivers, but to me, the most powerful thing, I've seen God do that. God can do anything. He can move a mountain, but when you involve a man's will, and you see a man or woman choosing to walk in purity, that is the most supernatural thing that could possibly take place. <laughs> and that's you. And 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 you. Woo! I love it. Repentance is the personal realization of where we are living out of alignment with this power and this desire of God. Revival is when the church begins to walk in this power. The message of repentance and purity is to the church first. We must be awakened. We must be awakened. Oh, Holy Spirit, open your hearts to receive this. Holy Spirit, awaken us. Holy Spirit, come now and minister salvation. Minister your salvation to us. As we explore what sin does now to you, I pray, oh God, that you would keep our hearts engaged. Keep our hearts soft. Let our pride fall to the floor, oh God, because we long to love you in Jesus' name. How can we become motivated to repent? How many of you just love to repent? Besides Caesar. <laughs> no. I'm just joking. You should love to repent. We should learn to love to repent. And I think so often repentance has been preached as like this dirty word. Like you're dirty and you got to stop being dirty. <laughs> That's how I understood it. But repentance is motivated and must, true repentance must be motivated by love. What? <laughs> love is the greatest motivator, uh, motivator of our lives. It drives our decisions. The need to give and receive love is the deepest longing of any human being. There is nobody in this place. You could say, well, I don't want anything to do with love. Well, that's because you desired it so deeply and you were rejected. And now 
You're trying to protect yourself, but walls come down with shouts of praise. <laughs> Whew. Okay. Oftentimes when we're talking about love, right, and God, we say God loves us. Will you love him back? Will you love him back? There is no such thing as a healthy one-way relationship. Somebody must have said that to somebody this week. <laughs> there is no such thing as a healthy one-way relationship. So if you've ever heard that you can love God and do whatever you want, I'm here to tell you that no, that actually breaks his heart. Because he never, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Anything that you can do. <laughs> I mean, it will never separate you from the love of God. And that's beautiful. But how about him and how he feels? He desires to be loved back. He longs to be loved back by you. Will you love him? Well, turn to John 14, 15, if you don't know it. It's one of my favorite, favorite scriptures. Sorry I'm sitting. I'm very pregnant. <laughs> I get out of breath very fast. <laughs> if you love me, if you love me, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. Not, I will love you if you do. <laughs> Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He loves you no matter what. But if you love me, then you will obey my commands. You see, the motivation to live in purity comes from loving Jesus. Comes from saying, I will love you back, Lord. I will love you back. I will love you the way you desire to be loved. Amen? Why? Is he a tyrant? Is he um, a a bossy boss that wants to tell you what to do? No. It's because he created you, designed you, and he knows everything that will fulfill you. He knows everything that is good for you. He knows everything that will bring you joy. He knows everything that will bring you to life. He has a purpose for you. Do you know what that purpose is? John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you. This is Jesus' words about the Father. Our purpose in life is to know God. Yeah, you might be a farmer. Yeah, you might be a pastor. Yeah, you might be a stay-at-home mom. But your purpose in life is to know God. You might say, well, I know God. Of course I know God. But no, I'm talking about a deep, intimate knowing. The word is genosko. Everyone say genosko which means to get to know through personal experience and deep intimacy. Personal experience, you can personally experience God. Put me on tape. <laughs> Holy Spirit is our personal experience with God. The Holy Spirit is the part of God that you experience. And the purpose of your life is to know him, to be in deep intimacy with the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for what you should do with your life, you should get to know God. <laughs> intimacy is engaging our hearts fully whew, with the deepest longings, emotions, and nature of another being. Intimacy is engaging our hearts fully with the deepest longings, emotions, and nature of another being. To know and be fully known by another individual. 
Intimacy is not one way. You see, God intimately knows you, but he desires and says that it is your very purpose to know him this intimately. In fact, so much so that he gave up his only begotten son so that he can come and make residence in your heart. But you must abide in him. You must desire to know him. It's not this automatic thing. You can resist God. Even when you're in God. I do it every day. I'm repenting in front of you all. There's literally times all every day, and I pray in Jesus' name that there'll be days where there's not, where I can feel him speaking to me and tugging on me, and I say, I got to go do something else. If I did it, I would feel so fulfilled because I would know God more. It's the purpose. When we are intimate with God, we begin to feel God's heart, what delights him, and what hurts him. And we can begin to feel his brokenness for our brokenness. Because he was broken for us to be free from whatever sin in that moment we've entangled ourselves in. Sin is not just the bad things. It includes the bad things listed out in scripture. Sin is doing anything opposite of what God has spoken to you. And sin is, at its core, unbelief. I don't believe what God is speaking. Do you understand? So if God tells me, go speak to that man and pray for his foot because he's limping, which happened yesterday. And I say, ah, la, 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 that must not be God. I got to get the groceries in the car. I got to do this. I got the baby. It's sin. It's sin. And it hurts him. True repentance for a believer is birthed in encountering this heartache, which is called conviction. So many people confuse conviction for condemnation because they've been taught that everything should be great all the time and wonderful and, wow, this is, Jesus is good. Yeah, he's good, but he's a person. And he has emotions, and we're going to see that through the scripture. And we have to, really, we have to say, okay, God, I want to be in this intimate relationship with you, knowing how you feel, knowing your thoughts. So, this is just a, a side note. There is a, there's a great attack on intimacy in our time. For me, um, being, you know, I, I love psychology. I like to watch, um, you know, people groups and things like that. In our culture, I love to watch culture. And you guys know that I've spoken about this with consequence and things like that. You know, removing consequence removes the need for the cross. The Lord has showed me that there's a great war on intimacy. Most people can't even look you in the eye and tell, tell you how they feel. Most of us can't look somebody in the eye and say, I'm so sad. We have this, we have to hide, you know? <laughs> we, ha we have to hide ourselves. There is a war on intimacy. And this is <laughs> no condemnation. Many of you, I'm sure, have beautiful Instagram pages and beautiful Facebooks. And <laughs> Caesar's like, don't go there. <laughs> I talk to him a lot about this. <laughs> And there's no condemnation. For me, the Lord has really been like, you don't spend time there. And this is why. It, this is how he speaks to me. Is because it is the picture of the breakdown of intimacy. We present this version of ourselves to other people, trying to be known by them, yet we only present what we want to. And even those who present their, you know, brokenness, they're like, oh, this is really, no, there's still this image that we're trying to portray, right? And we're lonelier than ever. Do you understand that suicide rates are higher than ever? Uh, 
for and, and the, the younger kids get, the higher the suicide rate gets. And the younger that generations get, when you get into Generation Z, I was looking at studies and studies and studies. Um, baby boomers spend about two and a half hours on social media. You go down to Gen Z, and it, it can be upwards of seven and a half hours. Because we long for intimacy. Because we long to be known and to know others. We long for it. We can't help it. And we have been sold this halfway intimacy, this counterfeit intimacy. And I tell you that as the church, because I feel that the Lord was saying, the reason the enemy is doing this is to stop people from understanding how to be intimate with me, which is the very purpose of their life to know me. So if I can convince people that this cheap thing is intimacy, now they're not going to be able to come to me and know me. They're not going to be able to come fully to me being known, not just exposing what they want to expose, but being completely open and wrecked, right? Don't you long to be known and to know people? Like, I want to know everything about Andrew (laughs) to the point that I'm, probably annoying Brittany to the point that I'm really annoying to her. (laughs) Like, I want to know. I want to know how your brain works. I want to know when you're even an ounce of sad. Like, we have this craving to know people and to be known, right? So this is why I felt to tell you about this little attack on intimacy before we dive into being intimate with the Lord, because we need to wage war. The church needs to wage war. Because when the enemy tries to steal something of God's design, I truly believe that it's our part to, whoop, nah, you can't have that. And when the world starts to see a people who are satisfied in being known and knowing God, really truly understanding intimacy, forget it. That's revival. So, love demands us to put another person's needs and desires at the forefront of our decision-making. You guys tracking with me? Love demands us to put another person's needs and desires at the forefront of our decision-making. Intimacy reveals to us what those needs and desires are. It is not natural to us. We need to practice it. We are used to living for ourselves and our own desires. Do you understand that? Should I say it again? (laughs) Love demands us to put another person's needs and desires at the forefront of our decision making. And intimacy reveals to us what those needs and desires are. Amen? If you love me, you'll obey my commands, the Lord says. So what happens, Lord, when I don't obey your commands? There is no condemnation. But this is relationship. Joe, I like your shirt. It says, it's not religion, it's relationship. And I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> You see, but we love to say that because we think that it frees us from having to live a certain way at times, right? But actually, real intimacy and relationship calls us to such a higher standard than religion. Such a higher standard. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we literally break God's heart. Yes, we're already forgiven for that. Yes, we've been purchased. But that experience even before in worship, where you feel peace, you feel joy. That's a person. That's Holy Spirit. That's the God that you were created to know. When we sin, we grieve him. 
If we are intimate in the moments where we sin, we can see that it causes God to experience grief. And the word for grief there is lupeo. Everyone say lupeo. I'm a scholar today. And it means to cause deep sorrow, sadness, and pain of the body or mind. This is what we do to God when we sin. And if we avoid that, we're not being intimate with him. We're not caring about him. I'm included. I'm not like preaching at you. I'm with you in this. And this can be really rather unpleasant when we allow this truth to hit our hearts. To know that our sin breaks the heart of the one who rescued us. Our sin breaks the heart of the one who comforts us in times of heartache and trouble. Who provides for us countlessly and literally never leaves us. Should we settle? Should we settle and make excuses? I'm not condemning you. I'm calling you to love Jesus back. I should not find pleasure or make excuses for things that pierced my Jesus and then grieves him now. No, we need to allow our hearts to be broken. We need to allow our hearts to be broken. And we can really deny wanting to enter in or feel God's heart because it's just not pleasurable when we're breaking his heart. It's inconvenient to cry in the middle of the day when you have a thousand things to do. It's inconvenient when you have to show up at work to be feeling God's broken heart about what you've done. It's very inconvenient, but the Lord calls us to lay down our lives to love him, and this is part of relationship. I still come to work when Andrew and I are fighting, and I've hurt his feelings, and I still process those things. I don't reject them, although sometimes I do, and then I have to go back and apologize to him, right? I brought tissues. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> Our culture is obsessed with, here's another thing, <laughs> that mug. <laughs> Our culture is obsessed with not feeling sad because there's a lot of brokenness. Our culture is absolutely obsessed with it. The self-help movement, the, the self-love movement, um, Oren was staying with us and he brought home this mug and it said five times in a row, no bad days. And I'm like, hey, that's heaven. <laughs> which I know that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the rejection of anything that makes you feel bad, right? It's like, if it makes you feel bad, throw it away. <laughs> well, sometimes it... Not, yeah, exactly. Sometimes Andrew makes me feel bad. Am I going to throw him away? Sometimes my kids make me feel bad. Am I going to throw them away? No. Absolutely not. It's called toxic positivity. One of my, yeah. It's toxic to think that your relationships and your life is always going to be high and wonderful in a fallen, broken world. And if you think that you're going to enter into any relationship and always feel wonderful and great, you live in somewhere else. You live in with your head in the clouds. When we get to heaven, this is the intimacy that we fear, but the fuel for our freedom. The beauty is that when we sin, and in, when we sin instead of being angry, and we enter into God's heart, and we allow him to let us feel what he's feeling, we ask him, what are you feeling? He's not angry. He's heartbroken. The definition of conviction is the Holy Spirit convicting or bringing light to a believer their righteousness of God in Christ. So he is not angry. 
he is heartbroken and crying out of love for you that I have made you holy. I have made you pure. I have made you clean. I have given you faith. I have given you spiritual gifts and I've given you a purpose. Will you love me back? Will you love me back? If we would just let this heartache touch us in our moments of weakness to temptation or failures, we would be deeply motivated and moved by godly sorrow to partake in the beautiful, intimate act of repentance. Remember, we're talking about the motivation for repentance. And that is encountering God's heartache. Ooh, please be my friend after this. <laughs> I just really love, I love Jesus. And I know that you guys really love Jesus. And I know that you want to learn how to love him well. And I know that you would never want to purposefully hurt him. But sometimes if we're, the veil is not torn off our eyes to truths, that we can be living and going about our day and not even like being aware that we're hurting God. If my husband, I want everyone to, to really lock into this because this is the, the most beautiful illustration. If my husband told me all the things that deeply hurt him that I was doing, And that didn't move me. I would not be treating him with love to just keep doing those things. Many people would sit down with me and say, hey, what are you doing? Real, true intimacy would allow his pain to become my pain. There's been many times <laughs> where we have had to sit down and say, this is really hurting me. And you can either defend yourself, which oftentimes we do with God, and shut it down, or we can say, wow, I'm, I'm really sorry. I really don't want to hurt you. I really don't want to hurt you. And that intimacy and engaging with one another's heart causes me to apologize to change my actions or at least give effort to changing my actions and to not hurt him again, right? Does this make sense? So it's even more beautiful with Jesus because what happens when we come to him and we say, okay, search me, God. Search me and know me and tell me. I want to know your heart, Lord. And he says, well, this is breaking my heart. I purchased so much more for you than this or this or this. I'm longing for you to understand this. And you can encounter his heartache and you could say, oh, God, I'm sorry. And there's places I've been there where I am stuck and I've done everything in my own power to change it myself. But the beautiful part about a life with Jesus is that he places the power in you. And when you come and you confess to him after he has broken your heart over what breaks his, and you say, oh my God, I cannot do this. I can't do it, Lord. That beautiful confession is met with the truth of the fact that you can, but he can. And in your weakness, his strength is made absolutely perfect but if you skip this part if you skip this part it is literally just behavior modification how many times have you tried to change your own life like I don't have enough appendages <laughs> but when we allow God's heartache to be our motivation to stop the things that hurt him, we now have a wonderful, true, great foundation to repent from. Right? I'm not making this up. <laughs> Turn to 2 Corinthians 7.10. Please, this was the one that I really wanted you guys to read for yourself. Again, this is Paul writing to the church 
in Corinth. The people of God, the saints of God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief, lupeo, that's the word again, godly sorrow in some of your translations, produces a what? Repentance. The motivation for repentance is encountering godly sorrow. And that leads to salvation without regret. Now you might say, well, I'm already saved. But remember, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. They're already saved. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. We're saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. This is referencing our sanctification. So when we encounter, I didn't make this up. It's not just some secret crystal sauce. Although I thought it was. (laughs) But it was just the Lord leading me into the truth of the word of God. Which is, it's relationship with Jesus. It's real relationship with Jesus. So let your heart not be hardened to encounter his pain. Because it will be the very thing that leads you to the freedom that he desires you to walk in and that he purchased for you. I don't want to feel bad. Well, then you don't want an intimate relationship with Jesus because he is a person and he desires to be loved. And there's a lot of times where he feels sad and deeply sorrowful and we are the very people that are making him feel that way. I mean, I can't imagine. Have you ever watched somebody, some of you have kids, you have friends. Have you ever watched somebody bleed? (laughs) It's like, (sighs) have you ever watched somebody you really love bleed? It doesn't feel good. Have you ever made somebody you love bleed? (laughs) Hopefully not many of you, but (laughs) I think I definitely have (laughs) back in the day. Um... (laughs) We're laughing, but the reality is that we would never just carelessly hurt somebody we love and turn our backs and say, eh, they still love me, and think that that was okay. So the invitation today is just to sit with God. To sit with his word that we just read. To sit with our choices and our decisions. And the Lord really highlighted this to me too, is our habits. Because oftentimes we can get comfortable in our habits and think that because we have become comfortable that it's pleasing to God. And especially if we've been years in the Lord, I think that um, it's very easy for us, especially if you've denied the Lord in certain areas so many times that you're just like, this is just who I am. If the word of God is counter to it, I just pray an illumination in Jesus' name right now that he would awaken you, awaken you, awaken you, and that you would make yourself available because this is the fuel and the motivation for you to repent. And it's the fuel and motivation and, yeah, the motivation and fuel for revival, right? And the motivation and fuel for this town to be restored. And the motivation and fuel for God to be known throughout the world. And it starts with encountering God's sorrow. Be still and know. Be still in God's presence and get to know him. Yes, he delights in you. 
Yes, he loves you endlessly. Yes, he died for you. Oh, he's so jealous for you. But why don't you ask him, Lord, am I loving you back? Lord, will you show me the places where I've broken your heart? Because I long to love you. I long to live for you. I long for people to know you for real, like really know you. I long to represent you. I long to walk in the freedom that your side was pierced with. Like this huge knife, you were pierced and you gushed water for me. Like I long to, I long to know you. I long for it, Lord. To be broken and weep over your sin is not religion. It's the opposite of religion. To be broken and to weep over your sin because you know what it did to God and what it is currently doing to him is relationship. If Andrew tells me I'm, you know, I'm so hurt and I just coldly say, well, I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to change what I do. Have I loved him in that moment? Because a lot of Gen Z grows up thinking it's just changing my mind to repent. And I just have to change what I do. That's part of it. We're going to go into that. There's no repentance without a change of action or a change of mind. But before that is the love exchange with God's heart that we have avoided for so long that is the very fuel for true repentance, which is that I would allow his sorrow to become my sorrow, that I would allow God's sorrow and heartache, lupeo, grief, deep sorrow over what I have done to penetrate me. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So inconvenient, so beautiful. What we were created for, not one person in this room was not created for it. And here's the other, I think a lot of us also experience this godly sorrow and think there's something wrong with us, like we're depressed or something's just wrong, I can't put my finger on it. Just being in counseling a lot of times, I just, <laughs> I see some people raising their hand that I've counseled before. <laughs> like, no, you're not depressed, you're living in sin, and God's sorrow God's over you in sorrow, and he wants to restore you to your God-given design to walk in purity and holiness. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Not always, but a lot of times that's what it is. It's you're feeling God's sorrow. So don't just automatically think, oh, there's something wrong with me. I got to get out of this. Like, go to God and say, hey, Lord, like, where is there somewhere that I'm breaking your heart so that I can be realigned, that you could strengthen me because the power of your spirit is in me because you purchased it with your blood. And now I am your ambassador to the world. And I need, I need your power so that I can actually let people see who you are. Uh, Brittany, is there enough of those chords for that song? Okay. Yeah? Can we just start to play that? Um, yeah, let's just be still for a little bit. Okay. Um, the point of this word is not just to get you sad. <laughs> I'm aware, being in counseling, I'm aware that situations can be extremely uncomfortable to sit in. Feelings can be very uncomfortable to sit in. And I just have found that that's my comfortable place is to sit in the middle of someone's uncomfortability. <laughs> so if you have to close your eyes to encounter the Lord here, I just really want to encourage you that the Lord can be found right now and that you can experience his heart and breakthrough. And if you're like, I don't want to experience his heart and breakthrough right now, well, poo-poo on you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really, I really, Andrew's like, what? <laughs> no, but really, will you love him back? Will you love him back? Will you love him? Will you be intimate with God? Will you partake in a heart exchange and not just the good stuff, all the stuff? Every piece of him, every part of his heart. 
Because we know what the word says now. It says that godly grief leads to repentance. Real repentance frees us. Yeah. (laughs) Second Corinthians 7, 8 through 10 says, this is from Paul to the church in Corinth. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, because Paul would call people out on their sin all the time. So when people say, oh, that's not, we don't do that in the body of Christ. I'm like, have you read your Bible? Like, please read your Bible. Because it's not judgment. Because God judged you and he calls you holy. He calls you holy. He calls you holy. He calls you holy. The judgment's out. You're holy. You're holy. You're holy. And our job is to simply say, what are you doing? You're holy. Come on. Come on. So that's what Paul was doing to the church in Corinth. I do not regret making you sorrowful, though I did regret it. (laughs) For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according, this will rock your theology, to the will of God. Let me read that one more time. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. Now I rejoice that you were made sorrowful. You were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything. How beautiful is that? Encountering God's heart and his sorrow over our sin leads us to repentance. Why? So that we may not lose anything, not an ounce of our inheritance. Not a bit of anything that he purchased for us if we live a life of repentance when we know we were we are out of line with god we will not lose anything but we certainly will lose much if we do not allow ourselves to encounter this grief some of you are living in that right now some of you are living really good christian lives but you feel this loss Because you have rejected where God has said, I want you to do this. Or I want you to stop this. Do not sin in your anger, the Lord says. Seek first my kingdom. Not after you've done everything else and if you have a little bit of time left in your day or your week. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak. You are speaking God. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can encounter your heart. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the love that you pour out daily into us and over us. I thank you for the comfort that you bring in lonely places. I thank you for the quickening, for how you awake our souls, oh Lord God, when we feel dead inside. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the good work that you do. I thank you that you made our ears to hear. I pray right now, why don't you close your eyes? Oh, 
Awake, 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 awake. Every heart awakened. Holy Spirit, we say yes to loving you back. We say yes, Lord.